Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed there is. Welcome to Rescue Radio. Tonight we're going to be talking about the delicate art of correction, which includes discernment, uh, forgiveness, um, and being able to warn one another uh, in the spirit of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask you for help. We ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and heart to understand by the power of your Holy Spirit the truth that will set us free. Father, I come against that spirit of defensiveness and fear, shame that often pushes away correction and causes us to take an offense rather than receive a correction that would bring us into life. I bind that spirit that has put up walls, that has caged us in. I ask, Father, that your truth, which is liberating, will bring freedom tonight for each of us as you minister to us through your Holy Spirit. And may I speak as the oracles of God on this very vast subject. May you lead us in the way that you would have us go, because there are many um, options on this path, Lord God. So I thank you, Jesus, that no weapon formed against us will, prompt, will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to be twisted, to bring forth confusion, disruption, interruption, breakdowns, uh, shame, bring shame, trouble, or reproach to us or our families. I pray that you cover us in our words and conversations, our relationships, our communications, and our thoughts, as we understand that this is a spiritual battle. And I thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the faithful witness, and your word straightens things out. You know the truth. You come to testify. So lead us tonight into those um, places and give us that understanding that you would have us to have. In Jesus' name, we ask these things, Father. Amen. Well, have you ever gotten in trouble, got your head bit off, or uh, got someone mad at you for trying to correct them? Um, and with that comes a question, do we really know the difference between correcting someone and judging them? A lot of times when we try to bring something to someone's attention, the retaliation is, well, you're just judging me. Or what about you? And so it's always, it immediately becomes about judging, placing blame rather than receiving uh, a correction. So tonight we're going to look at some possible uh, options and things out of the Word of God that would help us to understand how to address these issues in this day and age where it seems like really like a lot of people are just wearing their sin out there on their sleeve for everybody to see, and then they're going to see if you're going to say anything about it. And if you do, then they have an opportunity to get offended if you object to it. So how do we correct the people we love? Um, how do we you know, help them to receive that correction in a spirit of love as it was intended rather than getting bitter and upset. So before we get started, I think we're going to read a couple of definitions out of the dictionary and see what the dictionary has to say about the words. Um, Correction. Let me see if I can find it here. Yep, it's right here in the dictionary. All right, good. Under the C's. (laughs) Correct. To correct someone. Correct means to um, take out the errors from something. Take out the errors from something um, to uh, defy a defect. 
um, to bring um, modify something like behavior to make it more acceptable or um, uh, bring it up to a certain standard. Um, it means also to punish uh, for the um, ho- in the hope of gaining improvement to punish or scold someone, especially a child, to bring improvement or, or to their performance or to reform them. Um, it also talks correction also means to bring accuracy to bring something that was uh, make it without errors um, acceptable. All of these uh, attempts to correct someone, take the errors out of their life, uh, point out errors, uh, rectify behavior, um, modify. All of these things are just a setup for offense. Because if there's one thing most of us don't like, it's to be wrong about anything. And the second thing we don't like is to have it pointed out to us. And so if correction means to correct and to point out errors, if there's an error in the doctrine, as Jesus often uh, is seen doing with the Pharisees, correcting their doctrine through parables, through confrontations, through um, their, their challenging him, uh, that's going to create some resistance, some bitterness, some agitation. Um, now, the second word we want to look at is the word offense, because, of course, correcting can bring offense. And let's see, offense, what does that? Um, it's, in the, it's in the dictionary, right? Offense. Um, O-F-S-E. Hey, I had this a minute ago. Where did it go? <laughs> okay, here it is. Offense. It can be a legal or a moral crime, someone who's created or committed an offense, you know, like someone who's gotten in trouble with the law. Um, it, it also can be um, to attack when you have a, a team or a, a, a soldiers, where they're going on the attack, the assault, they're on the offensive, military, or in sports. Um, they also, uh, uh, let's see, it can be, to, be to bring about anger or resentment, someone who's offended, becomes angry, uh, resentful, hurt. Dis- there's a displeasure. Uh, there's a there's a kind of an irritation, a cause to want to retaliate, um, and a cause for displeasure. Now, the the last word I want to look up is the word discernment. Discernment um, is what Jesus says. Now, remember when he said, um, "By their fruits you shall know them." That's what that word um, means. Discernment um, that we can know. The difference, known, it says here, discernment, to notice something unclear, to see something that is not very clear or obvious. So discernment is being able to see behind or see beyond what is apparent, uh, to get to the root, to get to the source, to know something more or make whatever it is that is not clear more clear. Uh, understanding something that is not immediately obvious, uh, to distinguish, to be able to tell the difference between two or more things. I think this is desperately needed in the Church of Jesus Christ right now, as so many things are presenting themselves as correct, when in fact they're actually counterfeits. So this this ability to discern, distinguish, know, um, to understand the roots, the origins of things is incredibly important. So, so to make things discernible, we have to be able to know the truth, know the real, before we can, um, you know, call out the counterfeit, so to speak. So we're going to talk tonight about correction, and this is the first uh, installment in probably a few 
that are going to answer some hard questions. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was at Teen Challenge doing a um, a, a lecture, uh, uh, whatever, and they I asked them to give me on a sheet of paper one of the questions, each one, to give me a question, write down a question that they didn't understand, something about God, about the Bible that they they wanted answered, and they really didn't know. Um, you know, I just wanted to see where they were at and see what they knew and what was still a stumbling block to them. Well, so this correction, discernment, offense talk tonight comes out of the first question, questions. So this was the question asked by a student. Now, if you'll notice how this question is worded, you have to be, it's kind of like the way the Pharisees worded their questions to Jesus. They had they had an agenda behind the question. I don't think they were really interested in um, knowing anything. They just wanted to either, you know, use it as an opportunity for an argument or to confront or to, to stir up discord. Um, so this was the first question. Jesus mocked the Pharisees. Well, the Bible tells us not to think negative thoughts about, about our brothers and sisters and so how does this correlate through the Bible? In other words, how is this okay? How does this show up? How does this match with the Bible? Um, I began the answer by saying, first of all, when you're, this, is, this is a question that's built on a, an assumption. Um, Jesus mocked the Pharisees. So if Jesus is seen in his confrontations in like Matthew 23 as mocking the Pharisees, Already this person has a perception uh, that is, you know, obviously wrong, but they are filtering their answers and their, uh, their, what they're doing and seeing and looking at God and his word through this prejudice, this bias, this filter. And how many times do we not realize that we are filtering everything that's been said to us, um, every correction, everything that we don't like? We filter every word, every conversation through filters that we are not even aware are there. I don't know if this person intended to reveal that there was a sense of Jesus mocked the Pharisees. Who was asking that question? I guess that would be my first question. Who is that really? Is that really you who want to know the answer? Or do you just want to, you know, take a jab at Jesus? But anyway, to mock means to treat someone with with scorn or contempt to mimic someone, to make them appear stupid or foolish, to frustrate or humiliate them. Now, anybody who knows Jesus knew knows that Jesus never disrespected anyone, even those who deliberately tried to catch him in his words and kill him, those who set him up, those who cross-examined him, uh, those who uh, were laying for him, uh, setting a snare for his words, or, uh, you know, like the time that they set the um, the pair of the... Uh, um, the demon-possessed guy in the front of the church and or the, the woman that was taken, you know, she had the spirit of infirmity upon her. Um, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, being bound these 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath? Well, they were always setting, the man with the withered hand. They're setting these people up in front, uh, right in front of Jesus and seeing what he will do, and hopefully he will misstep, and so they have hardcore evidence that he is evil and all of his words are... Um, nothing to be considered or believed. So anyway, but Jesus, by his nature and spirit, never disrespected them. He was fearless in redirecting people to the truth, no matter what, and kindly. I mean, even though he was, he called them a, uh, hypocrites, a brood of vipers, 
he what he knew who he was talking to, to and it wasn't the actual people who was talking to their demons who were controlling them but nonetheless he reject he always brought the people back to the, the simple truth and he did it in a kind way he never apologized for taking a stand for it and like we were talking about a minute ago by the way if you have a question you surely can join in this discussion love to have you um the the uh, number is 347 215 We'd love to have you join us. Even if you want to chat us something in the chat room, we might be able to answer that. Not pretending to answer every question here, but there's a lot to this correcting things. So back to this, this first thought. This question makes the assumption that Jesus mocked the Pharisees and that, in fact, he, when, in fact, he was correcting them. So if you're looking at what people are saying to you, and think that you're being mocked or you're being uh, uh, treated with contempt, you're not going to consider the truth of what they have to say. So there was an offense. Now, um, the correction was taken with offense for those who did not have the love of the truth and wanted to actually maintain their own position uh, as leaders in the religious community. They didn't, they didn't want to look bad um, in front of Jesus, and what Jesus was doing was really raising the bar on what the kingdom of God was all about. Their presentation of the kingdom had come through rituals and religious practices and traditions and um, uh, very uh, constricted, very legalistic. And Jesus was really opening the gates on grace and freedom and love. And they were just terrified by it. Now, but let's look at the importance of today and being or learning or knowing how to take correction the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, for, re- for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now we've already looked at the definition of the word correct, correction. And we see that it doesn't, it doesn't um, endorse error. It doesn't encourage uh, lying. It, it points out error. It makes people... Uh, accountable, it brings people into a place where uh, it, how how many of us like to have an error pointed out? How many of us like to be shown to be wrong? Uh, how many of us like to be straightened out on anything? I mean, you've been doing this thing for how many years? And so now um, somebody's coming along to correct you. Uh, and what do you, what's your first reaction? It's not, oh, thank you. Um, it's like, who do you, who do you think you are? Uh, do you have a right to do that? You don't have a right to do that. And so we get kind of defensive, really. And so that's what is happening here. Um, so in the church, in the church, in our personal lives, how do we learn anything if we won't listen, if we can't be taught, if we take it personal, if we get mad? So correction does have its rightful place in the church and in our Christian life, but I don't see many people in the church these days doing any correcting at all. I noticed in um, Matthew eighteen eighteen, if you have a, a, something against someone, the, the pattern, the, the process is first to go to the person. And then after, if that doesn't work, you take a second person and you go with that person to uh, speak the, the, the grievance to the one that you're having the problem with. Um, and if that doesn't work, it says then you're supposed to take, you go, take it to the church. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. Uh, And then he goes on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. 
whatever you loose on earth be loosed in heaven. Remember where um, Paul in uh, Corinthians was saying to turn that uh, immoral man who had his wife, his mother, his I think it was his stepmother as his wife or something, uh, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. This is pr- pretty hefty. This is pretty heavy duty correction. And yet it was, Paul saw it as necessary that the man would not be lost. And so the church nowadays is, it does, it doesn't do this. I mean, we just, we're afraid we're going to be sued. Uh, we're trying to keep the status quo, keep everybody happy, keep everybody in denial, keep everybody in the dark, keep everybody doing their little things that make the church uh, the way they want it to be. We don't dig deep. We stay upon the surface of stuff. And so, um, we really avoid, we, we, we like to do um, mediation, uh, compromising. We like to uh, make everybody happy. We like to uh, uh, smooth everything over. And, and, you know, when people, for example, this is a little bit of a side note, but when people are blatantly um, declaring to be followers of Jesus Christ and, and, and sinning blatantly in, in the context of their Christianity, um, what are we to do? Are we say, oh, that's fine. Oh, it, it's, it's the fad now. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to, uh, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, we don't stand up. The preachers in the pulpit don't stand up. The people don't stand up. And what has happened? Everything goes. Everything's okay. We've lost our edge. There is no edge because the truth is now discussable. It's, it's negotiable. Um, if you don't like something, you can just have a discussion group in your emergent church and come up with something else. And if you all disagree, then you can always be lovely and agree to disagree and have one big, happy, continued family with no power and no uh, absolutes. I mean, we just, without an absolute standard of righteousness, uh, which God is, how how is God relevant any longer in his own church? But let's look at this a little more. So people get offended uh, when they're corrected. They take it personally. Uh, the Bible says, Jesus said twice, actually, he said it in Luke and he said it in Matthew. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, let's look at that for a minute in that context where he said that blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Um, I think we're going to find that in Matthew 11, uh, 6. Let's go there for a minute. It, or Actually, let's do the, the Luke one. I think he's got a little bit more to say there. Um, if you want to look along, Luke 7 and verse 23. Um, the context is always important in understanding and rightly dividing the Word of God, and sometimes we forget about the rightly dividing part. We just do what we do, and we re-speak what we've heard, and we defend our doctrines as we've been taught them through our denominations, and we really don't go back to the very original source of what is the context. So in, in Luke 7.23, we see what's going on here. Okay. And it says in verse 21, and, they, and at that very hour he cured many people of their infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And many who were blind he gave sight. And to many who were blind he gave sight. So he's in the middle of doing a bunch of awesome miracles. By the way, this is causing credibility, uh, giving people a real sense of this guy has some authority. He has some power. Uh, we can trust him. And We'll go to him when we need him, when we need our, our healing. So there was people coming all over the place. The common people heard him gladly, it says. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, 
The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Well, here, where was John? John wasn't there. Where was he? He was in prison. He had gotten thrown in prison by Herod, not the same Herod that killed the innocents, but his one of his relatives. And he was there because he had stood up for justice, righteousness, and truth, because Herod had married his sister-in-law illegally, uh, taken her as his wife. So John was making um, a protest, so to speak. And so Herodias, the wife, interesting, Herodias is Herod's wife, did not like this insult. So she used her witchy, controlling Jezebel nature to get John the Baptist thrown in prison, although Herod actually liked him and wanted to hear him. So John is sitting in prison. He's stuck. His ministry's not going anywhere. Looks like it's, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen here. He is being faithful, and now it looks like, ah, this is not good. So the messengers from John, his disciples, came to Jesus to see, because John needed to know, is this the right, are you the right guy? Are you the one I've been, you know, preaching about that's going to come, or is there another? And Jesus said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Now here's Jesus giving his testimony endorsement to John. As John, is, his ministry is, is winding down, he's laid down his life, he's about to leave, and he's already baptized Jesus by this point. And has already said, I must decrease and you must increase. Um, He says, behold, this is what he says of John. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you that among those born among women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So what was John the Baptist suffering for? He was suffering for correcting someone. He was suffering for telling the truth. What was Jesus saying? This is the man. He's got it right. Um, I'm endorsing him. The Father endorses him. Um, and then he was saying to tell John, don't be offended. Don't be upset. Don't give up. Don't take this personally. And going back to taking things personally, um, you know, Jesus himself, many insults were laid at him at his feet. I mean, they, they challenged him. They, they called him um, an, uh, a bastard child. Um, we're not born of fornication, they said. In, implying, of course, that his virgin birth, the, the rumor, even after all those years, was still out there that nobody knew who his father was. His mother was probably a, a prostitute. Somehow she got by with it, and nobody still knows who he is. So there was that innuendo and many other things. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross, save yourself, heal yourself. No prophet has honor in his own country. Um that's why he couldn't do many mighty miracles in Nazareth because they already knew him. That was just, well, that's just Jesus, the carpenter. Who does he think he is? And then they were insulted because he called himself the son of God. Um, and he says, and you are upset with me because I call myself the son of God. When your own word calls you gods, in other words, God was referring to them and their position as judges, as gods. They were getting in trouble, not judging properly or not discerning properly. But nonetheless, there were many occasions where uh, they tried to throw him down the, the hill, kill him, uh, set him up. 
And yet, for all of those offenses, Jesus was never offended. And why do you suppose that Jesus was not offended? Why did Because he knew who he was. He didn't take it personally. He didn't, you know, he wasn't correcting people to be a nuisance or to be a, a wise guy or to, to have attitude or to, he wasn't even doing it in anger. I mean, how many thousands of years have they already messed up the kingdom and the word of God and, and twisted through the, the counsel of the evil one, twisted the comfort, the counsel, the grace, the word of God to make something out of it that it wasn't. And yet Jesus, um, he didn't, you know, most people, they do get offended. They get defensive. They, uh, they don't want to hear the correction. And this, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, we all need correction. In the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, a lot of that correction can come in the stillness, the quiet, the privacy of your own heart, your own home, through the Word, through the Holy Spirit. It's humbling yourself to receive that, that uh, truth, that correction, that love. But Jesus was out in the open and being confronted constantly. And I know a lot of us, many of us actually like to avoid conflict. And I think that goes along with afraiding to, uh, afraid of, of correcting and being uh, a judged. And so Jesus, obviously they were judging him, calling him names. So that's a reason why we don't like to correct or, or confront. And also they, were, um, they would take it personally. Now Jesus knew who he was. He was not offended. He said, blessed is he was not offended because of me. Jesus was not offended and was able to continue to love because he never made any of his corrections about himself. He never, you know, used his superiority or had a, an agenda or allowed his feelings to get hurt. He never was insecure. He never made it about himself. He always, he knew who he was from the beginning. Therefore, he did not take anything personally. And that is where we want to be when we begin to bring correction to people. Because if you are not in that place of love, then be sure that the devil is going to come after you. Uh, because he doesn't want people to learn the truth. He doesn't want them to get straightened out. He doesn't want the error to be removed from the doctrine and the church. He doesn't want um, the, the righteousness, the, the, the truth of God, the gospel of grace. He doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want reconciliation. He doesn't want peace. He wants um, people to be upset bitter, separated, angry, touchy, blah, blah, blah. So what we have to do when we are looking at correcting someone, and now we, we can talk about any kind of correction, whether you're correcting your children, um, and that's your responsibility as parents to bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, or you're correcting a peer, uh, maybe a, a spouse, uh, or at least setting your part of the story out for them to understand and consider um, or whether we're correcting someone in the church. The most important thing to do, I believe, that was to protect us from getting upset and offended is to apply the rules of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. There are certain rules and principles in the kingdom of God, and they're recorded for us in um, both Matthew and Luke. Uh, in, in Matthew, he says, um, in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed um, are the you know uh, poor in spirit, um, Love your enemy. Do good to those who, you know, spitefully use you. Uh, pray for those who curse you. Um, do good to those uh, who do unto others. That's the golden rule. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. In other words, when there, there's a volley of cursing and blas- blasphemy and denial and spite and gossip and rumors set up against you, 
the enemy will try to do that, obviously, in a spiritual dimension, but he will use people to do it. When that happens to you, um, you don't want to correct them in a spirit of offense or revenge. We know that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We do not want to um, be presumptuous or unkind or, or even talking down to them. So oftentimes, um, before we can truly correct someone in a spirit of love, we have to have earned the right to correct them because we do love them. Um, correction is often not. You know, we don't realize that when you're speaking, some people are touchy, people are hurt, people have, there's past hurts, there's personal uh, shame, there's uh, places uh, that are off limits. Uh, they don't want you to go there. So people can be very touchy or sensitive or defensive. Their feelings are easily hurt. When they're little, they might get mad. They might cry. They might throw a fit. Your children might walk away, be quiet, say nothing, uh, pout, go to their room, whatever it is. That's not the point of a correction. The point of a correction is not to make something worse or make someone upset. The point of the correction is to get out the error, fix it, show them the truth. Truth brings freedom. Uh, but the enemy uses that opportunity of um, uh, disobedience or deception to cause stubbornness, to hold them in their place, defend their, themselves. And so instead of the correction doing what it's supposed to do to lift them up out of that stuck spot and bring them to freedom, it actually causes them to get deeper, d- drive deeper into that position of holding their owner, standing up for their rights or um, finding fault with you. So sometimes kids will do that, that, you know, and really as a parent, you want to, first of all, do the spiritual work that needs to be done before you bring any subject to any child or anybody, your spouse. Pray that God will soften their heart. God will open their heart. God will give them eyes to see. God will give them ears to hear that the enemy that it causes them to become defensive or irritated or offended will be bound and that they will be able to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our church, the church of Jesus Christ right now, I believe the persecuted church is receiving correction well because they're, they are not defending their, themselves. They're not um, defending their rights, assuming, presuming. They're not arrogant, presumptuous. But the church that is not being persecuted still um, thinks they're better than and they don't have any needs and they don't, um, it's not up to you to correct me. I have my, you know, my own opinions and I have my rights, blah, blah, blah. So, but an adult, sometimes they will slam the door, stomp out of the room, you know, or they'll rally other people around them to, to get them to take their side. This is called gossip and this is called division. Um, and of course, they present the, their side of the story as, you know, they're righteous, they're just, they're justified, they didn't do anything wrong. So if the parties don't comprehend or perceive that the correction is made in love, the words will definitely get twisted and colored to fit the preconceived notions of the receiver. And sometimes even when you're sending it in love, you are running into a barrier and you know it. And the Holy Spirit will guide you. Sometimes, you know, it's time to say something and sometimes it's time not to. There's a time to speak and there's a time to refrain from speaking, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says. And it's very important to know what time it is. Sometimes we want to go and say something, you know, take the bull by the horns, get this settled, you know. And we don't want to do the the, the due diligence of 
preparing the way through love, through prayer, through weeping. I believe, you know, really seriously, if a person knows that you love them and you connect with that part of them that knows that they're loved, they will receive that correction because they'll know that you care. Jesus laid down his life for us to prove to us that he cared. So, but if they don't receive it, it's not, they don't perceive it's made in love, then those words, like I said, can, you know, they can just irritate, they can cause the even deeper friction, bitterness, that can last for years. And after a while, people don't even know what they're mad about anymore. I think two of the strongest resistors or defenders that form that um, filter or that resistance are fear and reproach. And what they do, you know, nobody wants to be seen as wrong or, um, you know, be afraid or afraid that they're going to be afraid. Uh, discovered to be something less than they are. Everybody wants to look, we all want to look honorable. We don't want to lose our honor. We don't want to um, be seen to be foolish or wrong or or, uh, exposed. And so the fear of shame, the fear of, um, you know, all of that defensiveness, pride, always covers up the deeper inner parts of our soul because we've been convinced that we are what we hate. Jesus knew he was good. He knew that as deep as you wanted to look into his soul, you'd find goodness all the way down, all the way through, and that the deeper you look, the more you'd know God. And for us, we don't get that. We we say, oh, well, you know, if you knew who I was, if you really knew, if I don't want you to know uh, because you wouldn't like me. So we really try to maintain a, a superficial sense of goodness. And to do that, we strike out, we strike at people or strike out at people who are coming to us um, if we feel like it's a threat. Um, and, you know, a lot of times correction isn't con- correction at all. It's confrontation. And I don't believe that's what God meant when he talks about um, correcting people. So this kind of conflict um, it, it, it doesn't benefit anything. It doesn't really bring uh, unity, healing, correction, peace, restoration of truth. It just creates more uh, distractions and errors and uh, counterattacks. But um, here's another question. How can we correct someone without judging them? You know, um, Jesus said, you know, by their fruits you will know them. Well, how do we know them by their fruits without judging them? Because I think we make the assumption that knowing someone, discerning something is the same as judging them. By their fruits you shall know them. Um, God doesn't say to judge them. He says, know them. He says, know their hearts. Know what's going on. Know the demonic spiritual uh, resistances that you're up against. Bind those things. That's what he said. Remember, going back to Matthew 18, 18, he says, well, you take it to the church. And if he doesn't hear the church, then you start binding. You start binding that spirit of unbelief, that spirit of resistance, that spirit of rebellion. Whatever you bind in it, that's the next verse right after 18, right after 17. Where he says, if he refuses to hear the church. So the next thing God says, do is start binding stuff. Bind that spirit of error or resistance. Um, and there's a lot. People have spent years building, crafting their little illusions, their fantasies, their doctrines, their lives, their lifestyles. They have spent years crafting their religious beliefs um, or non-beliefs. They've, been, they've spent years adding to this building, this, you know, they've been, we've been building this little hut that we live in, and our belief systems for years. And we don't like it when someone just comes by and says, oh, that's wrong. That's not right. Oh, you, you, you know what? 
that window's in the wrong place. I mean, you know what? That timber is not going to hold the roof. Or, you know what? That's just going to, you put that fireplace in the place and you didn't set it up right, and it's going to just put a lot of smoke in the house. So we don't like these kinds of, um, you know, corrections, so to speak. But how do we know the difference between knowing them and judging them? You know, knowing implies discerning and not necessarily holding someone in judgment. So going back to the definition of discernment, it's, it, it means to see something that is unclear, to understand it, to understand something that is not obvious or immediate or apparent. Like, for example, so many people like to be mysterious and unknown, and so they don't let you know them. So the only way you're going to know them is through the Spirit of God, through the Word of Knowledge, or through what the Lord shows you in, in understanding and looking through the eyes of love. So we're able then to distinguish who they are from what they are doing and to know the difference, to separate them out from the being, from the doing. And this is where it gets pretty important, to separate out being from doing. So let's think about that for a minute while we listen to a little sample of God on trial opening arguments, which um, is, uh, is it takes us way back to the beginning of where all the offenses got set up. The heavens shook. Satan fell. The war in heaven was ended, but the war on earth had just begun. I dare you to let me test them. Would you test them to find fault with me? Let them choose for themselves whom they will serve. Perfect disguise. So subtle, and yet alluring. You will be more like him. That is why he has marked it as separate. More like him? Here. Delicious. Uh, You see? Nothing to fear. But I am afraid of one thing. Oh, what is it, my darling? What about Adam? Adam, where are you? Adam. You lied to us. It's time you all suffer like he made me suffer. Those two are guilty and they will pay. Unless one can be found who is willing to pay the penalty for them. And I demand my rights to a fair trial to determine my rights. You shall have your trial in the very hearts and souls of those you so freely seek to destroy. Well, then let them judge this matter. Let the accused become the judge, and the judge become the accused. Yes, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That that the judge become the accused, and that's exactly why the only one who can judge is God, because the rest of us are not capable of judging. But we are told by the Lord to discern the fruit. He says, by their fruits you shall know them. Many will come, wolves in sheep's clothing. And this knowing isn't the same as judging, like I was saying. Knowing is to understand the truth, taking things back to the truth, and then understanding why this behavior, this action, this choice is is going on, 
what is the lie that someone, this person is believing that is causing them to uh, act this way, going back to being and behavior. Our being is identified, described as, as the divine nature made in the image of God. But because we have been confused so much, uh, twisting up and, and cross-pollinating our being with our behavior, we have become confused to ourselves. And we think, well, I am what I do. And so we go off to correct behavior, uh, correcting the bad behavior of someone, when in fact the first thing to do is go back and correct their identity and knowing who they are. And if they know who they are, why would they want to do that in the first place? If they were um, you know, made by God to love justice, truth, and holiness, why would they want to you know, kill their bodies with, caffeine and cigarettes and drugs and why would they want to be unkind to one another so it's it's really correcting teaching instructing in righteousness is really taking people people back to the original truth and not trying to create a correct a surface error i mean sometimes we have to do it in baby steps but um you know if we love someone we'll correct them but we want to correct them in love too um so that it, it comes across that you know what i care more about you right now and what's going to happen to you then I care about you liking me or then I care about you still being my friend I really care more about your freedom and your life and your success than I do about mine because I'm okay Uh, God will take care of me but right now God has called me to give you this warning so I really believe if we would ask the Lord to even by his Holy Spirit to correct us to show us to lead us into all truth that a lot of the things that we have uh, nursed along in our life and put up with and and you know coddled would be go- taken away uh, pruned and we would be free to know the truth remember the time that in Luke twenty two thirty one, where Jesus said to Simon now he said Simon Simon I mean this was a pretty intense moment uh, he said indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren what if Jesus would never have said that to Peter? What if he would have never given him that warning? What if he would have just eh, blow it off? You know, well, he'll figure it out. You know, um, you know, he's got it coming. He, you know, he's got to learn the hard way. What if Jesus wouldn't have taken the time to encourage and warn uh, Peter about what Satan was about to do to him? Do you suppose that this word, this warning came back to Peter when he was in his moments of greatest despair, when he felt he had totally failed the Lord. But looking back, Jesus said Satan not only was going to do it, but he'd asked to be able to do it. And I think that's a very interesting uh, question, that Satan asked, permit, he was permitted, he had to go and ask for permission to sift Peter. Why do you suppose that was? Didn't he also ask for permission to sift Job? Doesn't he ask for permission to sift you and I? And how do we know that the trouble that we're going through or the trouble we see someone else going through right now is is as a result of their sin? Uh, a lot of times we want to correct people like Job's comforters with the idea that we've got it right and that if they're not their life's not nice, then they must be not good. And so, but so Job's comforters were assuming, judging, uh, correcting Job in judgment, correcting him, assuming that they could figure out that he was sinning because his life was so desperate when in fact he had been selected uh, by the enemy to be sifted and God had permitted it. And I'm sure that the same thing is happening to a lot of us. So we need to settle down and let the persecution that God has permitted, let it, let it go. I mean, just keep tucking yourself into God. 
He is going to be there with you. He's going through the trial with you. You don't have to panic. You don't have to defend yourself. You just got to be quiet. Sometimes the Bible says, David says, like a weaned child. You just kind of got to settle down and let God defend us. But so Jesus took the risk of loving Peter. He did love Peter enough to tell him what was going to happen. So many times, you know, when our, when we see our children messing up, we want to freak out, panic. Um, we want to, you know, lecture them. We want to uh, take away the car keys. We want to, I mean, I'm not saying some of these things aren't necessary for their safety. Every occasion requires its own things. And so it's not a, it's not a cut and dried, okay, this is what you do when this happens. So we can write a book like that, although everybody wants to read a book like that, because every situation requires its own path, its own direction by the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes tough love, sometimes soft love, sometimes silence, sometimes, you know, letting them go. It's It's just whatever the Lord is leading. But the most important thing as you're going through a trial with a loved one, whether it's a spouse or a child, is not to panic, to look back and know your loved one, that person really inside there created by God, uh, that you love, that you're committed to, that you want the best for, that you want to see succeed, is right now being deceived, led astray, um, enticed, seduced by the programming that the enemy has activated in their soul. Uh, that programming that has been set up through the belief systems, through the generational curses, whatever it is that they believe. So it's a matter of just um, really focusing on what needs to be done. We need to bind. We need to loose. We need to ask for the revelation of God. We need to do things, pray things, share things that are effective, not freaking out and panicking and um, going ballistic because none of those things are going to help do anything except add more fuel to the fire you're trying to put out. Um you know, and another thing, you know, the uh, thinking of happy thoughts and, and being good and discerning, rightly dividing the word of God, um, you know, there, that's when you present yourself to someone and they see your faith in the midst of a trial, even if it's a trial that concerns them, and they see your faith, your stability, your, your positive heart, your knowing that God is working, that is going to indirectly actually encourage them. Because, well, mom's not freaking out on me. Mom's still got hope in me. Mom's still got faith in me. Mom's still got faith in God that God's going to do something. Um, and mom has strong faith. And so, I, you know, it's just like when, when one of your children, you know, they're little and they get hurt and they fall off their bike and they're, they're bleeding and their knee or whatever. Um, what do you do? Well, you can freak out. You can, you know, if it's nothing much, you're going to just kiss it and make it all go away, put a little Band-Aid on it. You're not going to, you know, go ballistic. If you panic in any circumstance, that feeds right back into the child's system of, am I okay? Am I going to die? And so you don't want to you know, send that sort of a, a message. However, there are times, flipping around a little bit here, going back to another spiritual example or biblical example, um, Paul had to correct some people in the church, in his own ministry, uh, in Second Timothy 4.14, um, he he said he was in a position where he had to call exactly a spade a spade. He had to identify the enemies of the cross, and he was not afraid to name his enemies. And actually, you know, we think, oh, we can't do that. You know, they might sue us. They might, you know, what if we're... I think one of the bigger problems with correcting people is we always come back to the thought that comes back. Well, what if we're wrong? Well, we've got sin too. Well, do we have a right to do this? And really understanding that I, I only have a right to obey the Lord as he leads me. And if he leads me to correct someone or say something, let it be done in love, in humility, knowing that, um, you know, we ourselves, Jesus, 
was tempted. He didn't sin, but he was tempted. And we ourselves can be uh, are vulnerable to being tempted. So we need to remember that, you know, um, lest we are, you know, um, correct such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. That's Galatians chapter six, verse one. So we want to do. This is a very. This is uh, uh, not correcting you know let the lord correct us but some of us have to correct others we have to correct doctrine we have to correct people we have to say you know your behavior is not okay but i still love you very much and because i love you very much i've got to tell you that that thing is going to kill you etc cetera, etc cetera. so look and let's look for a second in second uh, timothy four fourteen. um he says alexander the coppersmith did me much harm may the lord repay him according to his works now he's not saying he's going to judge him he's just saying what he did he did me much harm. Let the Lord judge it. I see that he did me much harm. Um, you also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. He's just describing what he sees, what he's discerned, uh, not judging him. You don't, you know, beware of him. Um, you know, he resisted our words. Um, you know, at my first defense, no one stood with me, all forsook me. Um, maybe Alexander the coppersmith was leading that charge against Paul, that division in the body. How many of us have been spiritually abused, spiritually wounded by leadership in the church that has not um, done the right thing? They've lied, they've denied, they've hidden, they've been under the influence of Jezebel, or Jezebel's under, been influencing them, um, and or in the church. And so rather than confess, we're afraid to confess. If I confess my sins, oh, no, then they're going to jump all over me. They'll be stronger than me, and I'll look weak, and, and I can't do that. But Paul is saying here, you know, here's the deal. He's a troublemaker. And the Bible says, you know, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Also, don't go by the people who are divisive. If they don't receive correction after the first or second admonition, it says just go away from them. You don't need that in your life. Um, so the, it, it's clear that Paul is not judging him. He's letting God judge. He turns the crimes committed by Alexander the coppersmith over to God. Let God be the judge because Alexander belongs to God as well. He says, but the Lord stood with me. When no one else was defending him, God stood with him. God was endorsing him. God was making a way for him not only to continue the ministry, but be protected and bring him out into the place of rich fulfillment, um, as the psalm says in Psalm 66. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear and I might that I, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. A lot of times that mouth of the lion is the criticisms, the bitterness of other people and who are set up and angry, upset, don't want to admit their, their stuff so they turn it against you. They, they don't like the message like they say, so they kill the messenger. Well, that's what they did with Jesus. He came with a message of love, um, forgiveness, uh, have mercy on one another, be kind to one another. Um, and, and you think that after Jesus laid down his life to preach that message, the message of the kingdom, that we can and we can so flippantly uh, attribute, attribute to him uh, the characteristics of, of harshness, um, uh, legal legalities, judgmentalism, perfection, um, irritations with us, impatience. It seems like God has gotten the bad, the worst rap in all of this. His reputation has been more tarnished through the war, the words and the lies and the accusations than anyone else. Um, now, Jesus said again in, in Matthew seven one, uh, I, "This is so important. 
in judging uh, what's going on. We don't want to judge. We want to discern. But in discerning what's going on, we can look at the fruit. It's okay. And you can know a lot of things about your situation by looking at the fruit. Well, what was what is the fruit that's coming out of this, whatever it is you're looking at? What's the fruit of this um, this, this uh, new teaching we have at the church? What's the fruit of... Uh, you know, how the church is going, what direction they're taking, what is the fruit of of how we're raising our children, what is the fruit of letting them eat um, poisons and rotten things and, and thinking it's just, okay, it's no big spiritual deal. So look at the fruit of what you're doing and know that there are only two kingdoms. There's heaven and hell and that everything will become part of one of those two kingdoms someday. And or is right now. And so if we're, our fruit is reducing down to stress and uh, irritation, disruption, um, burdens, uh, aggravations, irritations, that's not from heaven. That is not what God has called us to do. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when you discern a wolf in sheep's clothing, what are you supposed to do? To say, just not say anything so the next little sheep can get bit out, you know, destroyed by the wolf? No, you ask the Lord what to do. There's there's wisdom. Jesus knew how to handle his enemies. It wasn't always easy, uh, obviously. They came back. They retaliated. But he had the Holy Spirit guided him so. It was just his one-liners and coming back. It's what he, you know, did and said to shut the whole thing down. Um, and then so people, you know, back to the kind of the original question or the original thoughts for just a few minutes. This is kind of like... Um, taking it a little deeper, that when you are talking to someone and they are uh, getting bitter and angry and touchy and upset and their feelings are hurt and they're, you know, they're not allowing you to get past, um, they're not admitting, they're not, Jesus said, God said, when you sin, repent, change your mind, get, let me get to you, change your mind, get to the truth and confess, confess that you were wrong. These are the two things God says to do. Change your mind and admit you're wrong. To be able to bring um, healing, restoration, rest, uh, you know, forgiveness. And so these are the same two things, you know, changing your mind, admitting you're wrong, that bring reconciliation. Um, and so when we run into other people's demons, the demons of fear of being uh, made to look bad or fear of reproach or fear of uh, uh, being, um, you know, we're running into people's what I call the defender demons. Um, these are the third-person impersonators. You know, we have those that impersonate us to ourselves. Those are called the strong men. We have those who impersonate God to us. Those are called the pious deceivers. And then we have the third-person demons that will that will um, give uh, give others a, a, a distorted view uh, of who we are, and then they respond to you, uh, respond to your demon rather than you. They don't find you. They just you know. The first level is to deal with and speak back and get angry. So a lot of times when we're afraid, we're afraid we're going to be ashamed or exposed. On the one side of that torture rack, you have the fear and the shame. Reproach, what is that? That means that I'm afraid I'm going to look bad. I'm going to be mocked. Um, we're made in the image of God, and we don't like to be mocked. We, are, we have God's dignity, and we want to be loved. We want to be appreciated. Um, we want to be valued. And those things are not happening. We just are so mean to one another. It's just unbelievable. To recognize the precious life that God has put in each of us is just, that is a gift in itself to recognize that. But anyway, 
so we go with, with fear and reproach, and they're making us uptight. And so on the one side, we have that fear. And then on the other side of that torture rack, we're uh, yielding to what we call defender demons. This, um, these cause misunderstanding. Um, they say they're going to help us save our honor, protect us from the things we fear or fear the most, and so that we don't lose our honor or our goodness. So we have on the one side, we have the fear and the reproach. On the other side, we have the, de- the demons who are going to protect us. So they're the ones who are going to make it hard. We strike out. We um, keep people away. We find fault with them. Um, so many times when someone's, you know, you wanting to bring some correction, their demon will say, and what about you? Or their, that spirit of, you can call it, I will call it a demon. You can call it what you like. It brings up a, a charge or a, a way to distract or a way to get off the subject. Um, it's not receiving correction. Correction. Because it's not believing, that's not allowing the person to believe that you really love them. It's going back to rejection, rebellion, defensiveness. So they strike out, afraid that they're going to be found out, and then we, you know, get knocked out of the out of the uh, opportunity. Um, so we've come into agreement with the spirit of shame. I'm bad. I need to be protected. On the one side, on the other side, we let the imposter do that for us. And uh, many times, as I'll say to people as I'm counseling, have you seen that other person lately? You know, most of the time after a while, all we're doing is dealing with the, the script that the devil's written for us. You know, this is how we handle this. This is how we handle that. We get mad, we pout, we go away. We come back, we, you know, reconcile. Um, we manipulate. People feel guilty. We control them. We try to do all of those things, but we don't be on, we're not honest with them because correction is not the thing that we... Um, we're very good at taking or giving. So the Bible wants us to learn that we must be, correction is really instruction in righteousness. Correction is definitely an art, and correction can only come out of a person who has been broken themselves or who has been um, uh, taught the meaning, the purpose of God's love for their own life so they know who they are. So they're not, you know, buying into the devil's, you know, anger or defense or retaliation. I know that this is a lot to think about, and I know that it's, um, but it's really important. We must start to be walking in the Spirit of God in this area of correcting, allowing the Lord to correct us and um, receiving correction, and as a body, bringing the church back into um, focus with what the Word of God says, rightly dividing it, not what We've learned not what our society permits, not what we've become used to doing, but what God says. And so this might mean coming out of your comfort zone. This might mean um, spending extra time in prayer. This might mean keeping your mouth shut until it's the right time. This might mean asking the Lord to set up an opportunity for you to say something so that it will be heard and not become another brick in the wall Um it will be a brick taken out of the wall because they'll see that you love them. Uh, this is the key. If you are following Jesus Christ, the most important thing that you could ever want for your life is to have other people see Jesus in you and not be disappointed. You know, so many times we look at our leaders and we, we follow them and we're, you know, listening to what they say and it sounds so good and it sounds so lovey-dovey and sweet and full of unity and what it really is is fear and compromise and, and deception and angels of light. Uh, so be 
aware that you may, by their fruits you shall know them. Not by the way they look, but by their fruits you shall know them. Sometimes you have to wait for fruit a little while. It doesn't come out the first 20 minutes you know somebody. But um, again, we, when, we're, when you've been hurt, you need to forgive and be ready to, be re- to receive the corrections yourself. Let God lead us into all truth by correcting us uh, with the truth so that we can be set free from the lies. And then pray that God will, um, you know, peacemakers, uh, those who are exhorters, those who are called to restore. It's not about behavior. It's not about being good. It's not about being bad. It's not who did what. Really, when I counsel people, I don't really, you know, who did what. It doesn't matter. The, the problem, the question is, what are the lies you're believing? And what are the lies they're believing, you know, that are causing this this resistance, this conflict? So it's not about behavior. It's about being. And being is about being loved, being known, uh, being in love with the truth, walking in the integrity of the truth that God created you to live in. And so as we close tonight, I just want to ask you, Father, to um, give us the light of your truth in our particular personal lives where we can receive and benefit from your Holy Spirit correction, not the chiding or the judging or the manipulating of an angel of light or another person, even if it's said in a prophecy. Father God, let us really receive only the instructions in righteousness through your Holy Spirit and the correction that you would have for us, that we can walk in your truth and in your spirit. And Lord God, then let us know how to love one another so that we can be a vessel of righteousness, encouragement, truth, um, healing, peace, the restoration of joy, um, integrity, purity, uh, love, laughter. In this very corrupted and and convoluted world, Father God, may we come um, truly to find peace and reconciliation in these times of trouble. And Lord, I also pray for those who are in very difficult situations, where they're misunderstood, where they're set up, where people don't want to believe, that you will give them the key through your Holy Spirit, through your word, through love, to get, to open that door, to get behind that wall of defense. That, that, uh, and some of those walls are very complicated, Lord. They're full of divination, witchcraft, deception, uh, it is so complicated. I'm just thinking of one right now. There's um, a lot of times women get hung up with this. They look so good, so holy, so righteous, so just, so you know, right on with the word of God that their husbands don't even feel that they can hold a candle to them. And yet the women are truly not walking in love. They're walking under the counsel of justification, legalism, uh, superiority, uh, and and fear. And control, and so they look good, and they're they don't take correction, they don't submit uh, to this the, the leadership or the love of their husbands, and they really push their husbands into a place of frustration and not being um, feeling like they're the, the head of the house, uh, father to their children. Uh, they just don't feel like they're respected, and they're not. And this is twisted. This is not right. So I'm just praying tonight for these kinds of couples and families that you'd straighten it out. Lord God, let the light of your truth give them courage to not stay in the error, not be defensive, but to rest in you and to be okay. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And to all of you, we say God bless you and good night. 
station. Because there's a war for your soul.